Hey, 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 how we doing? Yes. You don't need to be a wannabe. You could be who God made you to be. Hey, it's great to have you here, whether you're joining us in person or online. It's also great to be back. Um, family and I got to spend some time back home in Nebraska where we got to go watch my team play, play a little golf, see a lot of family and friends. And, um, and I've noticed an interesting trend. Uh, now, I've been here a couple of years. Every time I leave here, things get better. And have, you guys have more fun. The staff's doing great. We've hired the great people while I was gone. You guys got free donuts last week. Like, you just have all the fun while I'm gone. If you weren't here, yes, free donuts for everyone. I think like 200 dozen donuts. Um, and so, but it's great to be back. And, and I, I, uh, I love our team, man. We are so blessed with our pastoral staff, our team, our leadership. And I love that we have so many different talented, gifted, called people on our team that can preach and understand the word of God. And honestly, especially in a series like this called The Me I Want to Be, which is about our identity and who God made us to be, I think it's so imperative and so important that you get to hear from different perspectives, uh, hear the same kind of idea and concept through different lenses. And so Pastor Joseph, the first week, kind of was just really raw and, and transparent with us and invited us to be the same. Last week, Pastor Cindy kind of invited the question of what's keeping you from being uh, the, the, the person that God created you to be and talked about trust. And, and this week, I want to wrap up our conversation. And, and just a reminder for those of you who are maybe newer, or as my friend John a few weeks ago um, uh, was saying that I want to have a conversation. And, and so the more you talk to me and, and you kind of feed me as a speaker, the better it's going to be. So again, if I say something you like, hallelujah, amen, say it again for the people in the back, dilly dilly, hooty hoo, whatever, like all of it, like it's good. Um, it, it, your job is to bring the best out of me. And, and so if it's not really that good, it's really your fault tonight. Um, so, um, but, uh, but I want to finish this conversation. I want to talk about um, I want to talk about this idea of the me I want to be, because uh, I believe when you read the scripture, when we understand who God is, that every single one of us was born on purpose for a purpose. And God could have chosen any time in history, any culture, any family, yet he chose to put you where you are. And he has something great for you to do. And he's never done with you. I don't believe that anybody is an accident. As followers of Jesus, we believe that he knows exactly what he's doing. And there is a version of yourself that is to be made in the image of Christ. That is, is, is the, to be a version of yourself that is who God made you to be. And there's a couple of scriptures kind of to kick this, this message off that really just are encouraging and inspiring to me. The first one, the author Paul, who kind of helped start the church in the early day, he wrote a couple different things that are on this, in this vein. First, in Ephesians 2, he says, we are God's masterpiece. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're a masterpiece. Now look at your second choice and say, you're a masterpiece too. That, that was kind of a joke, but you, you didn't do it. Like, you're still supposed to do it. You're a masterpiece. The Bible says you are God's masterpiece. Some versions say workmanship. Some versions say handiwork. But the idea is that we are God's masterpiece, which means we, there, you're one of a kind. You have so much value. What makes a masterpiece a masterpiece is the, is the artist that creates it and the value it holds is what somebody's willing to pay for it. Well, the reality is the creator of the universe saw fit to put you on this planet. And as, as David said in Psalms, he knit you and wove you together beautifully and masterfully. And then he sent his son Jesus to die. So he literally paid his life to show the value that you were worth. And so that's why we get to be called God's masterpiece. And not only are we his masterpiece, this next part's super cool too. It says, he has created us anew in Christ. Those of us who put our life and our faith in Jesus, it says that so he, or so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
That means that God has a plan for your life. He has good things for you. It's not random. It's not up for you to figure out. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't forget about you. He made you on purpose with a purpose and he has a good thing for you to do. He, and in fact, he can, so he wants us to do those and he's gonna help us to do them and he's gonna cheer us on and give us tools and give us love and give us instruction. It's that idea that there's a me that he's called us to be and he wants to help us become it. In the same vein, in, in Philippians, another letter to a different church, Paul says this in Philippians chapter one, he says, and I am certain, he's using very strong language, I'm convinced that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day Jesus Christ returns. So not only are we a masterpiece, not only does he have something good for us to do, but God is at work within us and he will continue to work whether we like stop the work, whether we let him in or not. God is always working in our life, trying to make us to, to, to help complete us and accomplish the good things that he has for us. And so that we can become the me that he created us to be. And that's kind of where we're going to take our conversation today. But I've noticed that I want to give you some kind of practical ideas of how do we become that me? Uh, last week, Pastor Cindy talked about some of the challenges because here's what I found in my life and a lot of people is there's this me that I want to be. There's this me that God's called me to be. And it's, 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 it's this pastor who's loving and he's inspiring. And it's a dad who spends time with his daughter and a husband who's, who serves and he loves and he gives. And, I, and it's a person who's generous and I'm forgiving. And, and I pick up trash in my city and I tithe at my church and I put shopping carts away. And it's just this beautiful picture of who God made me to be. But the reality is, Often there's also over here, there's this me that I actually am, that I want to be lazy and be selfish and leave the shopping cart and, and, and I want to um, live for myself. And, and, and so there's this me that I am and there's this me that I want to be. And, and I think a good picture of it is, is right here is for most of us, I think this resonates. In fact, I've seen this with most everybody I've ever encountered. There's this me I want to be and, and, and actually the who I want to be for me, I change it to who God made me to be or who God has called me to be because if he designed me, then he knows what's best, how best to use me and what I'm for. So there's this me that God's called me to be, but way over here, this me, who I am. And so the question then is, how do I take this me that I am and, and kind of bridge this gap and move over to this me that God has created me to be. And what I have found is there's a way to make that journey. There's a way to move from the me that you are to the me that God has created and called you to be. And, and there's a bridge or there's a gap, there's a journey. And if I could label or give a name to that gap, if I could give a name to that bridge, I would call it the bridge of change. What a soothing word that's just so easy and comfortable and we all love. But this is the truth. This is just the reality. If you are going to move from who you are to who God has made you to be, this is inevitable. This is the journey. Change is going to happen. We have to embrace change to move from who I am to who God made me to be. And so I want to have a conversation this morning about, or today, about change. I want to talk about change and how that impacts our life and what God has to say about it, because he has a lot to say. But first, I want to just speak to change just really quick, because the reality is we all respond differently to change. We all have different responses to change. And there's data, there's there's been, there's resources, there's been all kinds of studies done on this that kind of there's three, we fit into three different categories. So essentially 
about 16% of us or one sixth of us, we embrace change. We look forward to change. Things can't happen fast enough. We look for the next thing. We can't wait for change. We love it. In fact, we are the ones that we stand in line the night before Verizon and AT&T open up because we have to have the new iPhone 11 Pro with 4 million gigabytes for we don't know what of memory. Uh, we pre-order it. It's like, I'm, I've had this iPhone X for over a year. It's so 2017. Like, I need a new phone. Like, what's up with this? Like, it doesn't even have a night camera. Like, we are the ones that we just, we embrace change. Now, the majority of people fit into the second category, 68% or roughly right at two thirds, two thirds of us, we like the process change. It doesn't mean we resist it, but we kind of sit back and kind of go, I want to see how this plays out first. Like, ah, uh, I'm not sure about all this. We don't stand in line. We're the ones that let these guys work out all the kinks, do all the beta testing, have all their data mined, uh, like have all the crashes. And by Christmas, like by Christmas, I'll probably have an iPhone 11 Pro, but I'm just going to wait and let you all figure that out. Like, I'm going to process it. And then there's this other 16% or other one sixth of us that we just resist change. We're like, nope, we didn't have cell phones back in the day. We don't need cell phones now. These are the people that still have their flip phones connected to their belt. Like, and it, listen, it's cool. Like, it's cool. Like, it's cool because everybody's different. We're all God's masterpiece. Don't judge. But it's like, listen, I don't need no iPhone. I, Blackberries, whatever. I got my flip phone. I don't got to mess with the, I don't got to worry about the mess. Look, right there. There it is. Like, good, good job, cowboy Joe, you know? Um, it's like, do you get a gun? No, no, just my flip phone. Um, and, and I joke, but this is how we fit. But here's what I have found that is so interesting. And this is so fascinating to me that wherever you're at on this, whether you embrace it, whether you process it or you resist it, most of us, we all process change differently. However, the point at which most of us actually change is the same. And that's the point of pain. We actually Wherever you fit on this, we actually, almost all of us, wait until the point of pain to change. In fact, we often don't change until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change. The pain of staying where I am and being who I am is greater than the me that God has called me to be. Uh, this became apparent to me in middle school. Uh, I, you know, I didn't start liking girls really until middle school. And I remember uh, I, was, I was about 12 years old and there was a girl, her name was Haley. You know who you are. Uh, she, caught, she caught my eye. I'm just pretending she watches. You might, I don't know. Some of my classmates watch. Tell your husband Jed, I said hi. Uh, I remember I was like, oh, Haley, like, she's pretty cool. Like, she's not gross like all the other girls, I was told. Um, and I would listen, I was 12. If you know anything about 12 year old, 12 year olds have their favorite digs, right? We all got a pair of shoes or a hat. Well, for me, it was a Nike sweatshirt and I was from Nebraska. It was the fall. So I had this blue Nike sweatshirt that I was so proud of. It was like me. And I, what, and, and when you were 12 and you had something you, you loved, what did you do every day? You wore it. So I wore this blue Nike sweatshirt every day. I got made fun of, didn't care with my blue Nike sweatshirt. Well, I don't remember the surrounding, what happened around it, but I just remember one day I got a new sweatshirt. It might've been Christmas, I don't know. And I wore a different sweatshirt or a sweater or something to school at 12 years old. Who's wearing sweaters to school at 12 years old? Uh, I wore it and I was just passing by and Haley just happened to notice. She goes, oh, hey, Corey, that's a new sweatshirt, nice sweatshirt. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening inside of me right now? <laughs> Like this, I've not felt this. Like what she, uh, she, she noticed me like, whoa, 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 whoa. like what's happened. Haley just said, nice sweatshirt. Like, I love you too. Um, <laughs> like, 
okay, uh, like, and I'm like, literally, I'm like, okay, what's different? I did my hair a little different. What gel did I use? I'm using that gel forever. I can't ever change these bands. Like the new sweatshirt. Okay. So when I wear new clothes, Haley likes me more. She notices me. I'm going to need to get a job now. Cause I need a new shirt every single day. Like, how's this going to go? Like, I'm like, I'm all of it. And all of a sudden I became keenly aware that I couldn't stay where I was if I wanted to have what I wanted to have. And so the pain of becoming the same, I was like, was too great. Blue sweatshirts off. I got to like, Haley likes new clothes. I got to get new clothes. What up, girl? You know what I mean? Like, by the way, it never happened with me and Haley, but um, it's cool. It, it was a really good decision on her part. Me at 12 to like 22, stay away. So, um, okay, 25. Um, sorry, shouldn't lie in church. But here's the reality. We, we, you shouldn't lie anywhere ever. Come on. Um, uh, we don't change. So the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change. And here's, and here's why this is important. I joke, but the reality is that whenever change is involved, there's always pain. Because when you have change, you have some form of loss. If you're moving from a place you were, a thing you had, to something new, you're losing out on something. And some of us, I think a lot of us, that pain is just so great, we just get used to what we have. And when there's pain and there's change, there's loss. And the reality is loss is painful. But what if we didn't have to wait until pain entered the situation, but we changed because of the vision that we had for who we could be or the life that God had for us more than just the situation or the, the pain of not staying the same? What if you didn't have to wait till pain entered the situation to change, but what if you changed because of vision instead? So I want to talk about change. I want to talk about three ways that we can embrace change and, and invite this, this journey to become who God's made us to be. Um, so I'm going to dig into the scripture a little bit, but first let's just pray and ask God to speak to us. Um, God, I pray that your word would come alive, that you would speak to us. You know, everybody watching, you know, everybody listening, you know, our story, you know, the season of life we're in. And God, I pray that your word would just come alive in our heart, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us in a way that only you can. Holy Spirit, you would anoint my words so that, that even what is said by me is not heard, but what is said by you is heard. And God, we aren't just looking for something to kill some time or some new information, but we want uh, transformation that helps us to become who you made us to be. And we give you all the, the glory and the credit. God, this isn't about anybody else other than you. In Jesus' name and everybody greed said, that's what's up. Amen. Amen. That's what's up. Whatever. So I, here's what I want to talk. I want to have a, a short conversation about change. But, but as we do, we're going to talk about embracing change and moving change. But there's something that's really important at this concept of us moving through change as we become who God wanted us to be. And there's something really important you have to understand about God. And it's this, God does not change. God doesn't change. If we're going to have this conversation, it, it really matters that we know God doesn't change. In the Old Testament, in Malachi uh, chapter 3, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. In the New Testament, in Hebrews 3, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's important for us to know that God never changes. And that is to our benefit. And here's why. Because his character never changes. Whatever he was, he is and he will always be, which is loving and forgiving and kind and patient and tenderhearted and slow to anger. And all these things I'm not making up, they're all in the Bible. So whatever we see is true about God is always true about God. Another reason it's to our benefit is because you can super trust something that's consistent. You can put your faith into something that doesn't change. Some of us, we have a hard time trusting anything because our life has been a, a lifetime of in and out of inconsistencies, parents and marriages and jobs and finances and kids and whatever. And it's like, man, it's hard to trust. Well, of course, because we are hardwired to trust something that, we, that is faithful and that is consistent. And it's so comforting. And you can, and you can put so much of your faith in, in Christ when you understand that he's always the same. So his character is always the same. 
Now, how he, how he interacts with his children can be different, but his character never changes. That is really, really comforting. And, and, and why is it important for us to know that the character of God doesn't change? Well, first of all, we can trust him, but it's also good to know that God doesn't need to improve. Like he's not like reading self-help books in heaven being like, I just need to get a little bit better at this thing. Like he's been perfect from the beginning. He's got it all figured out. He's mapped the whole thing. He's been there. He's here now. He's in the future. He knows how it's going to go. He's perfect. We need to change because we need to improve. And we can trust our souls and ourselves to the one who doesn't need to improve because he's already perfect. And he created you to be a masterpiece, to do good things. And he's going to never stop working. Do you see how this is all connected? It's beautiful, right? It's brilliant. Nobody does. Okay, I'll keep talking anyway. Because I'm like loving this. Like, this is like good. Like, Corey, man, this is a good one. I don't preach for four weeks and this is how you treat me. No, I'm just kidding. So let's talk about change, because if you want to grow, you're going to have to change to move who God wants us to be. Change is inevitable. And again, whether you resist it, embrace it or you process it, it's going to be the thing that helps us to become who God made us to be or continue to move in that direction. So three ideas of how to embrace change, three thoughts about this conversation. So start with number one. We have to learn to change with your season. If you're taking notes or you're on the planner, these are your fill ins to change with your season. See, our life is a lot like the, the, the weather. Now, again, this doesn't really work here because we're in Florida, so it's always nice and it's always summer. It's just different kinds of hot and humid, but it's always nice. But everywhere else have these things called seasons. <laughs> I'm from Nebraska. We had four seasons, really long, cold winter, really hot summer, and three weeks of fall and spring, and they were beautiful and it was awesome. <laughs> but different things happen in different seasons. Um, and our life is like that. We have different seasons of our life. If you've been alive for a minute, you know what I'm talking about. You have seasons where things are different in your life. In fact, the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he writes this kind of idea, this concept. And, and I think God really wants some of us to understand this because this is going to help some of us today. And, and Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter three. He says this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And then he goes on and he gives this beautiful rendition. He says, there's a time to be born and then there's a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time for weeping. There's a time for laughing. There's a time to mourn. There's a time for dancing. Some of you could work on the dancing thing a little bit, but that's not really, we're not talking about that today. There's a time to scatter stones and there's a time to gather them. There's a time to embrace there's a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search. And there's a time to give up. There's a time to keep. And there's a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. Get this. There's a time to be silent. I know, right? And a time to speak. Dilly dilly. Yeah, you didn't say that when I said be silent. <laughs> I love my church so much. There's a time to love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. Here's what Solomon is saying. He's saying life has seasons. There's times when it seems like you're building. There's times when it seems like you're growing. There's times when it seems like you're harvesting. And there's times when it seems like you're tearing down. Again, I'm from Nebraska. Many of my friends and, and family were farmers and ranchers. And we had the same four, four season cycle. In the spring, you would plant. And then in the summer, you would, you would irrigate and you would manicure and nurture and you would cut out weeds and drive bugs away. And then in the fall, you would harvest. And then in the winter, you would go to Florida where it was nice. 
In fact, the first person I ever met here when I moved here, no lie, first time I went to the beach when I was a pastor here, I met farmers from Nebraska City, Nebraska. I'm like, this is hilarious. No, they, no, no, I'm sorry, Fall City. And she actually went to school with my uncle a million years ago. I'm like, this is a true story. It's the weirdest thing. But they were like, yeah, we're here for two months. I'm like, yeah, because you can't plant or harvest anything up there right now. But this is what we do in our lives. Think about it. You, there's a time where you plant and then a time where you grow and then a time where you harvest and you work. But then there's a time where you rest because it doesn't matter how hard you try to plant in winter or harvest in winter. Nothing's going to grow. You already took it all. And I wonder how many of us have gotten so accustomed to living out of season in our lives. We try to create our own season. But imagine if you didn't plant and you got to harvest time, you're like, I just want to harvest. I don't want to harvest. I don't want to create. And I want to produce. And I want to strive. And I want to have. And I want to gather. It's always a time to gather and build and you never plan anything, you're going to get super frustrated because living out of season is super frustrating. And I'm, I'm afraid sometimes in our culture, even, even in the church, we have this like strive, accomplish, achieve. And I love that we have that, but it can't always be that season. There has to be times where you plant. There has to be times where you build and grow. There has to be times where you harvest and there has to be times where you rest. Some of us, we have lived out. Either, I, I, I see a lot of people, we live a season behind all our life. We want it to be one season, but we're really in another. Some of us, we parent out of season. Our kids are, I see this and I see this all over. We parent, we our kids are young. are like, well, just let them self-discover and you figure out who you are. And I'm like, and then we try to be their best friends. And I'm like, no, they need a mom and a dad. And then they get older, like teenager in college, and it's like, oh, we missed a few things. Now I'm going to tell you to wash your ears and when to come home. And they're like, no, it's too late. Now they need a friend. It's like you got those seasons out of order. Some of us, we're out of season in our relationships or in our business. There's times I believe that God is like, hey, I want you to wait. I want you to wait on what I'm doing. It's like, I'm going to start 17 businesses. And it's like, you're trying to harvest. And God's like, can I just plant and like grow something first? I will tell you this, one of the, I'm so glad I had people and mentors in my life that taught me that my character was going to have to carry my gift and my talent for the rest of my life. So I'll tell you in the 40, almost 40 years I've been on the earth, God has worked a lot more in seasons of growing my character than ever developing my skill, talent, business, or career, because my character has to carry that the rest of my life. And so does yours. But we focus on skills and we focus on talent and we celebrate that. But, but man, maybe, maybe, just maybe God has you in a season where he's like, I just want you to stay and I want to do some things in you. I'll never forget this. As long as I live, I, this is about 10, maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago. In my old church, there was a lady who just, she had one of those spiritual gifts that God would talk to her and, and give her a word. It's called a prophecy. It's, it's very real and I, and I believe in it. And she had this word for me and she's like, I have a word. I feel like it's from God. I want to share this because I think you need to hear it. And I'm like, ooh, yeah, like how many lotteries are we going in? You know what I mean? Like, and she said, I feel like God wants you to know that you're going to kind of enter into a dark season where nothing's going to grow for a while. I'm like, well, what sin in your life has you mishearing God right now? <laughs> like, we can pray. I'm, I was her pastor. And she's like, she said, I just, I, I, I shot, she goes, as, as clear as day, I saw a picture of God walking you through a valley and it was dark. Uh, but he wants you to know that. And I, and I said, I think he wants you to know that because I think things aren't going to go the way you want. There's going to be some unfortunate, challenging things come, but he wants you to know two things. As you walk through that valley, number one, he is with you. And number two, you didn't do anything to cause this. He's developing something in you that he will use to produce fruit and a harvest later. And I'm like, so I went to pray. I'm like, God, I hope she is wrong. <laughs> but in the event she's right, help. 
And listen, and, and, and I, I, I wrote it down in my journal, and I kid you not, a couple of years later, we had spent a ton of money on some medical stuff with our daughter, and there were financial things that weren't working, and there were ministry things that weren't working, and there was a bunch of stuff. And if you know me well, I, I put a lot of pressure and guilt on myself, and so I just assume it was me. And so I'm getting really frustrated, and I'm like, man, this, is, this sucks. We don't have enough money. We're just spending our lives on other people. Like even some of the stuff that we feel like God gave us ideas, it's not working. And I went into my church, and I went to pray, and I was about ready to say, God, what did I do so wrong that nothing is working. I promise you this. And as those words were about to come out of my mouth, guess what the Holy Spirit reminded me of? Two years before, my friend had said, hey, you're entering a new season. And I, and I just, I was just so caught off guard. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I love that you know me so well, Father, that you knew I would put this on me, that you warned me that this isn't because I'm doing something wrong, but you're developing. And listen, I'm not going to tell you that that next day, everything got better because it did not for a long time. <laughs> But there's something about peace. There's the peace that knows when you're in the right season, even if it's not the season you want to be in, but you know you are where you're supposed to be and God is with you, you can endure just about anything. I don't ever want to go through that season again. It was not awesome. But the fact that, that God loved me enough and I knew I was in season, and so I stopped trying to force things and I embraced what came to me and I just I focused on the fact that he was with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And, and it helped. Listen, it was a long season. I'll tell you this. It was way longer. It was like five years. But I can tell you that as your pastor, as a man who's standing here now, that was an imperative season where God, he forced me to learn some faith and trust and deepen my understanding of the word and deepen my, my desperation for him. And I have, I, there's so much that came out of that season that only would have happened if God kind of forced me to rely on him. I had to trust and rely on God for things that I'd never had to in my life. And I haven't since, but God came through so many times for me that it elevated my relationship. And I've learned that maybe just maybe God will put me through a winter or put me through a hot summer or whatever the case may be so that I can experience some things with him that he and I never had. I just feel like somebody needs to, to hear that today. I wasn't even planning on telling that story. Some of us are living out a season and every season is just a season. It's not here to stay. I think some of us, we either live, live a season ahead. We're trying to force it or a season behind. I think some of you, maybe, maybe you're here and you feel that, man, I just want to stay where I'm at because I think some of us are still learning the, na the nature and the character of God. And we're so afraid that right now is as good as it's ever going to be. We have a hard time trusting God that it could get any better. And so we're not willing to let go of or lose anything we have. And God would say, listen, I know it's good now, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. There's seasons like change, be the me that be the you that I created you to be, because I will be faithful to complete the work that I started from the very beginning. Some of us just need to learn how to change with our season. Second thing, I'm going to do the next two, go through the next two a little bit quicker. Second thing, some of us need to learn to change with our season. Some of us need to change our approach. How do we change? We need to change our approach. There's a great story in Mark chapter 10 of a, a man that was born blind. His name was Bartimaeus. He'd been blind his whole life. He had begged his whole life. Everything he had done his whole life, he'd been, been blind. I love, when I think of changing your approach, I love this, the, the principle. One of my favorite quotes I've ever heard is that we, you and me, we are perfectly positioned now to continue to get the same results we've been getting. If we keep doing what we've been doing, we will keep getting what we've been getting. dilly dilly. <laughs> Yet some of us are convinced that if I just keep doing it, I keep doing, I keep doing, I will get, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I will get different results. There is a word for that. It's insanity. Yeah. It's, don't look around when I say that. <laughs> don't nudge your spouse. 
But there's, there's a story where a guy changes his approach and he gets a different outcome. Bartimaeus was blind and he would beg at the gates. But one day he heard that there was a powerful prophet coming by. And there was this guy named Jesus who had a reputation of miraculously healing people. And he was just hoping it was Jesus. And guess what? As he was coming through his town, he got word that Jesus was coming through his town. And he, the pain of staying the same was so great. He thought, maybe if I change my approach, maybe just maybe God will move in my life and I can get that thing I need. I can get the miracle. I can become more of who God made me to be. And so the Bible says, says in verse 47, that when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And watch this. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They were like, dude, shh, be quiet. And I love what he did. He didn't be like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, my bad. He was like, no, 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 no. This is my day to not be blind anymore. And so it says, but he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, guess whose attention he got? Jesus. Guess what Jesus did? He healed him. Bartimaeus had a vision to not be blind anymore. And if he would have done what he had kept doing his whole life, he would have died a blind man. But he changed his approach. He got a little bit desperate. He did something new. He got a little bit passionate. Some of you, I believe Jesus so lovingly is just inviting you like, would you be willing to try something new? Just try something new. Change up your approach and your finances. Change up how you do, if you have family nights, your family nights, your relationship with your kids, how you run your business, the way you, there's a million things it could be. And I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you, but some of you, you need to change your approach. We need to change our approach. Try something new. You don't have to wait until you're desperate to change. This, I'll just tell you how, this will give you insight to how like selfish and weak I am. I pray, because I've been there. I, I pray this all the time. God, help me to live desperate without my circumstances requiring it. <laughs> I do. I pray it all the time. I'm like, I want to be desperate for God, but I don't want to need desperation. I just want to live that way. Like without my, it's, I pray it. That's just, I'm not that great of a person. I tell you all the time. And listen, I understand organization and routine. There's a place for that. I get it. You know, routines are good, but I do believe there's a fine line between a routine and a rut. And I heard a preacher once say, a rut is just a grave with the ends knocked out. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. Some of us have been in a rut for a long time, and I believe God is saying to you today, just change it up a little bit. Try a new approach. Get a little bit desperate. Get a little, listen, get a little bit passionate. You don't got to get crazy. You don't got to get weird. If you're introverted, stay introverted. Permission. There's already enough of us, and we drive you crazy anyway. So we're good. But what is God asking you to do? And then the third one is this. Maybe you need to change your approach. Maybe you need to change with your season. The third one is this. Change your position. Change your position. Right now, wherever you're at, there's people sitting in front of you and behind you and to your right and to your left. You're positioned around some people, right? And some people are positioned around you. Your life is the same way. Some of you maybe need to reevaluate who are the people that you have positioned the closest in your life. Because the relationships that you have and the connections you make are one of the most important decisions you will ever make. In fact, Proverbs says this uh, in the Old Testament in 13, it says, walk with the wise and guess what happens? You become wise, but a companion of fool suffers harm. Later in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul says this, he says, don't be misled or confused. Bad company corrupts good character or good morals. The destiny you reach is determined by the connections that you have. I think there are two of the greatest decisions you'll ever make is what are you gonna do about Jesus and who are you gonna put closest in your life? I believe this with my whole heart. The destiny you reach is determined by the connection. Who have you positioned yourself around and you, who is the loudest voice in your life? I don't mean your coworkers or your neighbors. You don't get to control some of that. But what you do get to control is who are the main influences? Who are you striving to be like? Who has the loudest voice in your life? Who is positioned in your, in your life to be an influence? Because 
everybody in your life is always doing one of two things. There's no neutral ground. The people in your life are either accelerating you to be who God's called you to be, or they're derailing you from being who God's called you to be. There's no middle ground. So are the people in your life, are they pushing you forward? Are they propelling you going, go after it, girl, get it. You, you're better than that. You are God's chosen daughter. You are more than a conqueror. You can do this. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Or are you, be, are you living a life where people are telling you, you do you, you be you, you be your own God, do what pleases you. And listen, you tell them what's up. Listen, this is real for some of us. Some of us, we need to evaluate who, I'm not saying cut people out of your life necessarily, although some of you might need to, but I'm saying who have you positioned around your life? The reality is that you and I will become the average of the closest people in our lives. And this is one you've heard me say before, I'm just super passionate about, because I'm not that smart, I'm not that good, I'm not that talented, I'm not that, but I chase after great people, because I just want to be in a good average. So for the last 25 years, I've just sought out great people, great mentorship, great pastors, great leaders, great coaches, men of God, women of God, healthy marriages. I just want to surround myself with that, because I want, if, I, if, it's, if it's really true, I want to become what I surround myself with. Some of us would do well to evaluate and not just take what's given to us. Maybe you need to change your position. So a couple questions to think about, and we're going to have a moment to just respond to God. It's not just today, but even in the last three weeks of the series, what is God saying to you? What's he, what's he doing? What's he been stirring up? What's the change that he's inviting you to, to experience more of what he has for you? So two questions to ponder, and we're going to close with a, a, a worship song where we have just time to spend in, in the presence of God. First is this, is what in your life, what area of your life needs to change? Is there a change that God is inviting you, inspiring you to? I believe you've been infusing the courage and the strength to start today. And the second one is this, if there is, what are you going to do about it? It's one thing to know you need to change. It's another thing. It's, an, it's one thing to be like, yeah, I should lose a few pounds. It's another thing to stop buying Pepsi and Doritos and sitting on the couch all day and get a gym membership, right? I mean, it is. So like, yeah, I should pray more. Okay, what's the plan? Man, I, I, man I've been saying for three years, I'm gonna join a small group. Okay, are you gonna go to the connect table after church and sign up for a small group? Because that's what you gotta do. Nudge somebody and be like, help me do this. God's telling me I need to pray. I need to do this. I need to do this. Our marriage, our family, our finances, whatever. Is there an area God's speaking to you? I wanted to give you a moment just to process and have time to think and pray. And so we're going to play a song and I want to invite you all to stand if you're physically able as we close and we're going to sing it. If you want to worship, you can worship. But if you just want to have a moment to reflect and pray, you can just turn this into an altar right where you're at and, and really just have some time to be in the presence of God and do business as we kind of wrap up this series and this conversation as the worship team leads.